0: Sometimes when we look back through history, we start to notice patterns that connect us despite vastly different times and parts of the world. What we would consider small beans now in modern Western society might previously have had serious consequences and affected the rest of history. This was very much the case with syphilis an almost ubiquitous disease for hundreds of years, this STI was at least partly responsible for the outcomes of high-profile court cases, the fall of world leaders, and numerous battles. It is also the reason why we have medical ethics boards today. Here to tell us all about that and more is headstuff history nerd Kiran Conliff. <laughs> Hello, and welcome. Hi there. So we are going to talk about syphilis today. Yeah. Yay. Um, And uh, and I wanted to talk about this because syphilis is an STD that seems to be making a comeback in places like the United States and Africa and um, and I think even here in Ireland. So so let's talk a little bit about the history of syphilis. Um, Kieran, where did syphilis come from? And <laughs> at what point did we start describing the symptoms? Because it seems to be like a relatively old disease, but there's definitely theories about where it came from. Yeah,
1: I, I think... Syphilis is one of those, it's a fascinating disease, uh, historically speaking, but one of the interesting things about it is that it illustrates the fact that people didn't really know what diseases were. Yeah. So syphilis, gonorrhea, which is another sexually transmitted disease, and chancroid, which is a sexually transmitted disease with very similar symptoms to syphilis in its primary phase, uh, all kind of blur together. And a lot of times, a lot of people thought that gonorrhea was a milder form of syphilis. Okay. So um, I think uh, one of the interesting potential cures for syphilis or one of the crazier ones that people came up with was when people discovered vaccination and variolation and so on to help immunize people against diseases, some people thought, oh, well, you just infect someone with gonorrhea and then that'll <laughs> immunize them against syphilis. So didn't really work. The Generally, when syphilis comes on the scene in a major way is right around the end of the 15th century. Uh, the most commonly held theory is that Columbus and his sailors brought it back from the South America. Um this is mostly based on there weren't any real reports of it before they came back. Mm. There are reports of some of his sailors having this type of symptom when they came back. And it is known that syphilis was about in South America before this point. And even historically, like a lot of people did st- associate this disease with coming back from the Americas.
0: Yeah. And I suppose like Columbus and his men were quite known for the old raping and pillaging.
1: Yeah I think it's like the first trip things were fairly friendly but these were sailors and friendly got pushed a bit and then later trips things got a lot more oppressive. Now this isn't kind of a universal theory and it gets confusing because again like people didn't really recognize this disease early on. There are some illustrations from earlier than Columbus's journey that could show syphilis or could show leprosy. Mm. In fact, when uh, syphilis first appeared as well, a lot of people thought it was a variant form of leprosy. And people with syphilis originally were treated as lepers. They were kicked out of town and put in robes. And then uh, when the syphilis went into its latent form, into remission, it's like, oh, they've been miraculously cured of leprosy. <laughs> so, But if it didn't come back from America, then it was a pre-existing disease that mutated into a much more deadly and virulent form at the end of the 15th century. One of the most immediate effects of it was it spread from Spain across the Mediterranean, through sailors again, into Naples. And right around, like even like a few years after it appeared, the King of France took his army to Naples because he was planning to become King of Naples. Because at the time, it didn't have a king. He had a vague claim, took his army along just to look tough and stand up for him. And the soldiers did what soldiers did. And then he noticed sort of like, oh, wait, half my soldiers are really sick and in no condition to fight. They've got sores all over their bodies. They're sweating. It's actually one of those interesting things as well that it does seem to have been a lot deadlier in the first few years it appeared just before the whole herd immunity started to pop up around it but a lot of people did die of it in the early stages right at the start so King of France winds up retreating back to France with his army and never becomes King of Naples.
0: Because of syphilis.
1: Because of syphilis.
0: That's very interesting. And of course,
1: his soldiers bring the disease back with them. And uh, within a few years, it's all over uh, Europe. You're seeing reports in England, in Scandinavia.
0: Yeah, it seemed to be um, quite ubiquitous and almost... Yeah, it just seemed to be very, very common, just like looking at the... The research that i was doing um that there was like renaissance painters like rembrandt mm. there's like a famous portrait that rembrandt did of mm. um some french nobleman who who had syphilis and his face was fairly deformed from it
1: yes that's uh so that's one of the late stage symptoms of syphilis so basically syphilis has through four stages really there's the initial stage just after you get infected when you have sores on your genitals. And that's or when you're the most contagious. Yes, that's when you're most contagious. Not Part of the reason you're the most contagious at that point is because those sores often don't hurt and you might not realize that you have syphilis even. So okay. it's Okay. Th-
0: would you not notice the sores, like even if you, uh, they didn't hurt?
1: Well, this is where the gonorrhea and the chancroid comes in. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, there's a lot of other common STIs that might cause that type of sore okay. that wouldn't be syphilis. Yeah, That's the first phase. And then it sort of goes dormant. And a few weeks later, you get your first attack of the secondary phase, which is usually sort of rashes and sores all over your body. And those sores are also fairly contagious for syphilis. And then it goes into remission again.
0: So it's it's really i mean you can tell why people would think that you might have leprosy yes, because it, it's exactly. not it's not contained to the genital area no. it's literally all over your body yeah. but
1: i think like people did realize fairly quickly that it started with this like people did draw up the dots but it took a while mm. so but yeah it's a that's all over and that is you will get like sores on your face and so on and that sort of thing uh and that's kind of hard to disguise so that was one of the big social impacts of it was it became very scandalous when say kings had syphilis because they're supposed to be the moral guardian of the kingdom and here they are with this obvious a very visual representation (laughs) of the
0: fact that like nope you're sleeping around exactly (laughs) or your missus is sleeping around
1: but the other interesting thing about this phase is it does just go into remission Mm. and It'll come back, and usually you don't, these outbreaks would only last about a month or so. But uh, it'll it could just it'll go into remission for an uncertain amount of time, and it might never come. But like you might never get the secondary stage. You've still got syphilis though, but because it just disappears like that, that's why an awful lot of cures that didn't actually work got a lot of currency because mm. it seemed like oh, well, I mean, I started injecting mercury into my eyeballs and all of a sudden it was gone. So.
0: <laughs> oh, mercury, that <laughs> cure-all. <Yes. laughs> um, um. Yeah, so I think, like, speaking of, like, mercury and stuff, um, good old mercury, yeah. Um, when people think of syphilis, I think they typically think of like the Victorian prostitute or like the Victorian era and people just like dropping like flies from syphilis. So let's, let's talk about syphilis in the Victorian era.
1: So 1874, right in the Victorian era. So I have some statistics from then that are based on medical surveys that were done. Mm. And this would have been right around the time when they actually began to be able to test for syphilis because they identified the bacteria and they're able to see it under a microscope and tell it apart from gonorrhea and so on. They still couldn't cure it, but they could actually tell if people had syphilis at that point. And so you have uh, 5% of the population of New York had syphilis. 17% of the population of France had syphilis. About a fifth of the British army had syphilis and about half of the British army in India had syphilis because more lax discipline. Uh, Now, the main thing, though, with the Victorian era and with syphilis is that you did have better medicine then. You did have better palliative care and syphilis puts a lot of strain on your system. Most of the people who die of syphilis actually die of a stroke or a heart attack or something related to the amount of strain that it puts on them. Yeah. Now, so in the Victorian era, you've got people are lasting a bit longer with syphilis, and that means you're getting more people who are going into the tertiary phase of syphilis, which is where it starts to get out of your blood and into your other body tissues.
0: Fun. <laughs> yes.
1: Now, it can get into your soft tissues, which means you get boils, lesions, big inflamed tumors and sores. Or it can get into your nervous system, in which case you start getting tremors and most commonly mental degeneration and insanity. So there's an awful lot of the Victorian lunatic asylum is kind of a cliche, yeah. but an awful lot of the people who were in Victorian lunatic asylums were actually suffering from neurosyphilis. It became fairly obvious once they were dead, and they were able to autopsy them because it was literally eating away their skulls from the inside. Yes! Oh my
0: gosh! You sent me a link to. No, I don't know what time period those skulls were from, Um, and I'll I'll put a link at the bottom of this podcast. But these skulls that just seemed to be like riddled Mm. with syphilis—they were so brittle that there was like holes in them. It was just like eating away at the at the bone material.
1: And sometimes that was the due to the gomas on the skin mm. eating into the skull, but an awful lot of time that was a case where someone would have had the syphilis in their brain tissues Walking and it's just it's eating right its way yeah,
0: Like alien. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: so I think that is, that's part of what makes syphilis fascinating from a historical point of view, though, is that you have this period, sort of the 17th, well, more the 18th and 19th century when people have figured out what syphilis is and they know it's, th- like, they have understand it's epidemiology and they also understand that once you catch this, you can't cure it and you're probably going to go mad from it. Yeah. So you get this sort of weird, especially, like, 18th century Parisian, Bohemian society, there's this weird fatalistic approach to syphilis. There's this sort of idea that uh, syphilis is a mark of genius. Syphilis is a sign that's so that you're in. Um, Guy de Mopposant, the I've completely mispronounced that, but me, the French novelist uh, is said that when he caught syphilis, he ran and told all his friends, I've finally got it! I've oh got my- the pox! Oh my god! Uh, like, like 15 years later, he was in the lunatic asylum yeah. talking to trees, but uh, yeah.
0: Um, and so... So let's talk about cures and stuff. Like, were there, like, back in the, the 15th and 16th centuries, were there, like, folk cures that, that people had for it? Obviously, they thought that it might have been the same thing as, like, gonorrhea. and stuff. So, so did they yeah. have, like, folk cures for so, STDs back then?
1: Uh, they would have had folk cures for all types of ailments. Now, uh, the very first thing that people tried as a cure for syphilis, and one that stuck because it seemed to work, because it went into remission, was mercury. Mm. And at the time, mercury was relatively popular. It was partially because it was relatively popular as a skin ointment. And partially because there was this whole idea that syphilis was actually caused by some astrological conjunction that had brought this disease in. And so mercury, the the metal associated with the planets, could... Reverse it so mercury stuck around as a cure, but uh, as later tests did prove, mercury didn't actually have any effect on the syphilis, it had plenty of effect on the people taking the mercury, just not on the syphilis.
0: So, what like what would kill you first the mercury poisoning or the syphilis?
1: As well, probably the syphilis, but it. Again, it's just like the strain it puts on your system is often what pushes you over the edge. Mm. So mercury would usually, you'd lose your teeth. You might start to... And a lot of the symptoms of mercury poisoning are similar to the symptoms of neurosyphilis. You get Really? Yeah, you get, well, nerve damage. So yeah. you'd start getting tremors. You'd start getting, you might go mad. It's, I mean, the whole as mad as a hatter becomes from the fact that hatters used to have to work around boiling mercury and mercury yeah uh, it, they used it to treat the felt to make the hats Oh, and mercury vapor is the quickest way to get mercury poisoning which is also bad news when the treatment for your syphilis involves cover yourself in mercury ointment and then have a really hot bath <laughs> other th- uh, other mercury treatments like in swallowing mercury you wouldn't have metabolized that much of it it just wouldn't do much for you mercury enemas is the worst one that i saw that <laughs> again wouldn't have a huge amount of effect on you in terms of mercury poisoning I imagine it'd perk your day up a bit but uh... but
0: i would have thought like because it's like your anus is a mucous membrane that like mm. goes straight into your blood that it would probably be a, a bit more like a um I want to say effective, but that's not the word. Yeah, you, would,
1: that's, you would absorb more, but, yeah, uh, than it, swallowing. But like it is—it is, it is breathing. Mercury is the one that gets you the most, just because it's straight in and into yeah. the blood. Yeah. Now, my favorite mercury one as well, though. It really, it's back to the whole social thing and people having syphilis and not wanting to pretend they have syphilis. So, favorite's a relative word, but. In Victorian times, you could buy mercury-laced hot chocolate what? for surreptitiously treating your spouse because like, you didn't want to tell them you'd given them syphilis. Oh. Yeah. Dodgy. Very dodgy. Uh, so that's, mercury's the most common cure. It's not really the only one that was out there. The other really popular cure that also didn't work was Goyak.
0: What's Goyak?
1: So Goyak is a gum that comes from a tree that grows in South America. And it's uh, expectorant. It basically makes you salivate and that sort of thing. So the idea was, uh, okay, well, it is having some physical effect on you. And it's from the same place where syphilis comes from. Therefore, uh, I mean, God would put the cure in the same place as the disease. (laughs) So you have this effectively worthless tree gum becomes a huge import item for a lot of countries
0: and was it widely available in europe or was it just something that the upper classes could afford to get
1: it it was something that it it, uh, very upper classes so there were several royals that used to have the their little private supplies of Gayak coming in and so on and uh yeah there's stories of A lot of the maneuverings about trade routes across the Atlantic being secretly motivated by someone wanting to make sure their supply of cure-all came in, so, yeah. Uh, It did also have an anesthetic effect, so it did help to numb the pain from the sores because they could be quite painful. So, again, that helped people to think it was doing something.
0: Kind of like cocaine.
1: Yes. Uh, How
0: people like chew on the the locally. Yeah, cocaine
1: and... Because it's another thing that people don't realize that we didn't really have non-addictive painkillers until relatively recently. Mm. So a lot of cases, people who had syphilis would wind up addicted to opium just because they were in pain from the sores and they had to take laudanum or opium or uh, something that would dull the pain. And so you wind up with that on top of everything else. So... (laughs) Yeah, good times. Good times. Other cures for it, uh well, condoms were invented to try and prevent people getting STIs. And there was
0: definitely some really interesting like condom prototypes, you should say.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, um well actually you can tell me about them because you probably know more. <laughs>
0: um like goat intestines or sheep mm-hmm. intestines. Yeah. Um
1: I think I've seen a wooden condom somewhere.
0: Was there a wooden condom? Yeah,
1: just sort of like uh, not solid wood, but yeah. sort of like supple wood. So like bark, thin wood. I've
0: definitely heard of women using, like scooping out like half of a lemon mm-hmm. because the citric acid they believed was like a spermicide and mm-hmm. using that as like a diaphragm. mm.
1: That wouldn't have helped you against syphilis, though. No. (laughs) The thing with syphilis and the thing with condoms is even modern condoms wouldn't be 100% effective at stopping you getting syphilis. Because the way you catch syphilis is from a syphilis sore. So So if it's
0: anywhere other than on the penis. Yes. Yeah. It's the same with HPV. Like you can get HPV from just being like Mm. naked rubbing up against someone. Um, I know like HPV is often like spread quite a lot through people who um, are on like wrestling teams. Mm -hmm. Because if you have HPV or the person you're wrestling has HPV and you're in that close contact, Mm. like skin on skin. Yeah. That's your HPV fact (laughs) for the day.
1: Yeah. The other way you can get syphilis is kind of sad and it's congenital syphilis.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: So, and that is, so if you have syphilis, even if it's latent, it's, if a woman has syphilis, it makes her a lot less fertile simply just because it attacks the fetus and the ba- the infant. It, usually you'll miscarry or the baby will be born and die very quickly. Um, Descriptions of babies with congenital syphilis describe them as having very wrinkled skin, just from the effects of the bacteria on them.
0: Are there examples of like children who have survived from congenital syphilis?
1: Not that I've not not before we had treatments for it. Now nowadays, if a woman is pregnant and she finds she has syphilis, then a course of antibiotics can help. Mm. And uh, but it, you still it is risk of low infant weight and so on, but before syphilis was curable, not really. Mm. Sometimes they'd survive for a short while, but usually they'd die in infancy, which very is sad. Very sad, but very common for an awful lot of reasons back in the day as well. So, so one weird cure that uh, came from just general stories of it working and a doctor trying it out and finding it actually worked was infecting people with malaria to stop them from or to cure them from having syphilis. And
0: how exactly did that work?
1: So basically, malaria, one of the symptoms of malaria is very strong fevers. And fevers are one of the ways that your body kills diseases. Now, syphilis doesn't actually give you a fever But if you have a severe fever, when there's syphilis bacteria in your system, it can kill it. So people who had uh, syphilis would catch malaria and then all of a sudden they'd be cured of their syphilis. So,
0: oh my God. But they'd probably (laughs) die of the malaria, wouldn't they?
1: Uh, I mean, malaria was treatable a lot earlier than syphilis was. Oh,
0: because they had quinine back then.
1: Yes, quinine was actually also a cure for syphilis that people threw around, but that was because, that was actually from the homeopathy side of things, with the whole like treats like, so people went, well, quinine overdose makes, is a little bit like the symptoms of syphilis, so let's treat it with quinine, so.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the reason I knew that about uh, Quinning was there's this amazing show that you might have seen that was on like the BBC in the 1970s and 80s called Connections mm-hmm. um, presented by James Burke, who was mm-hmm. the BBC's presenter when um, we landed on the moon. Ooh. I think that was like his one of his first like presenting jobs because he came from like a science background there. They were just like randomly like hey, you're a science person. <laughs> you're good at talking. We'll, we'll put you on TV. And it just happened to be like for the moon landing. Um, but he was so good at science communications that he, uh, they, they gave him this show um, called Connections where he he talks a lot about um, the different, um, throughout history, the different connections that bring mm. us to like how we, how we landed on the moon, how we have mm. the internet today, like modern computing and all that. And um, he talked about a lot about malaria and a little mm. bit about syphilis and and quinine and like mm. where we got quinine from, and um, and how that was. I, I think there was a connection between quinine and gin and tonic as well.
1: Yes, because tonic water has quinine in it. Yes, so, yeah, it's what makes it glow under the UV light in the <laughs> nightclub. Uh, anyway,
0: that was your that was my my random tangent. <laughs> really great show, and um, if you can, because I don't think it's on. In the BBC archives, like if you have like a BBC iPlayer account, I don't think it's in there, um, so you might have to download it. But definitely, definitely. Oh, worth no, it. I
1: will definitely be checking that out because that is that sort of thing with sort of the connections. All that is what I find fascinating about history. I think, like that's actually why I really wanted an excuse to go and research syphilis. So thank <laughs> you for giving me that. You're very welcome. Just anytime. because it's something that came up so often when I was looking at other things and it's just like, okay, this person had syphilis or, oh, and then this happened because of syphilis. And you're like, huh? And it's, it's interesting because it is does have this sort of bounded history where it comes into Europe in 1490 whatever mm. and for 450 years it's completely incurable and then all of a sudden, whoop, penicillin. Yeah. Oh, spoilers, penicillin's the cure that works. Oh, <laughs> funny that. <laughs> yeah, because it, it's bacterial, it's just antibiotics will just knock it out. So. Yeah,
0: um, and I, I found it like really interesting how you were talking about... Um, like the Bohemians of the 18th century, mm. it almost became um, a point of pride mm. to get syphilis. Um, and when we look at going into like the late 19th, early 20th century, mm. there starts to become this massive panic about syphilis, mm. um, especially going into like war times with World War One, World War Two. You start seeing. Um, Posters being being put up warning um, soldiers to not sleep with sex workers. Um, and there's some really, really um, amazing pieces mm-hmm. of artwork, like this graphic design of all these kind of art deco and machine age, like posters mm. of like working men and soldiers and stuff, like warning you not to... Yes. Not, so just like not women in, in the
1: shadows with the cigarettes going, careful lads, you yeah. don't know what she's got to
0: the good time girls. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> I mean syphilis I mentioned like back there the Fr- the French king's army getting knocked out by syphilis it did have a major military impact and World War 1 it syphilis was a major factor in the war. Um you had the uh, Soldiers used to deliberately infect themselves with syphilis to get out of the trenches, either by sleeping with a girl, or if someone had syphilis and they were going home, they'd rub a matchstick on a sore and pass it off around the trenches and everyone else would infect themselves with the disease off the matchstick.
0: I think that speaks of how Uh, completely horrific trench warfare was, mm -hmm. that you would infect yourself with a disease or like try to get shot.
1: So sexually transmitted disease in general was actually the second most common reason for someone to be invalided out of the war, out of World War One, after actual injuries. Mm. So it was very common. Um, the French army actually had a rule as well that, any soldier who was treated for an STD twice in his tour of duty had his tour of duty extended by two years. Oh wow! Yeah, because I just like no, you owe us more time because you've wasted our time with this. There is another, there is another metallic history slash syphilis crossover that we could get into, which Do is tell. the Radium Girls.
0: Radium Girls.
1: Yes. Now this is. This is, uh, I read about this in a book called The Poisoner's Handbook by Deborah Bloom. It's a really good book. There's a Netflix series based on it as well and the book is about the early years of the coroner's office in New York and when it transitioned from being a political sinecure into an actual professional medical operation. Basically when they decided the coroner had to be a doctor (laughs) and not some friend of the mayor's who he wanted to be able to poke dead bodies. So (laughs) But there was, uh, when radium came out, radium was like the magic, uh, amazing, um, glow-in-the-dark, fantastic wonder drug, or wonder substance. And people did dose themselves with radium because they assumed, well, if it's full of energy, it must be good for you.
0: <laughs> did it give you a nice, <laughs> as nice a complexion as <laughs> arsenic? Uh,
1: well, so <laughs> the radium girls were the girls who worked in a... Watch Factory in New York uh, making glow-in-the-dark watches. And they would paint the numbers onto the watches with little paint brushes, and they'd dip the paintbrush in the radium and then to get the perfect point, they'd put it in their mouth and go and, and ah! suck it out. And yeah, uh, they also used to sometimes paint their teeth with radium to because it glowed and it was like nice and spooky way to get people. But they they were absorbing an awful lot of radium and an awful lot of them got very very sick.
0: Clearly, <laughs> yeah.
1: And they wound up in this long running court case that was establishing basically whether the company was liable for them being exposed. Once it became clear that radium did make people sick yeah uh basically once all the rich people who were taking the radium cure all started getting cancer and dying they went oh wait maybe this is bad for you and then these poor girls got their day in court as a result of that and they did win but i mean they were all very ill as a result of it but uh they uh one of the tactics that the prosecution used to try to say that because they they were suffering from tremors, sores, boat loss in boat, basically radiation poisoning. Mm. But the prosecution said no, they've got syphilis. They just they sleep around these girls; they're all sluts, and they've got syphilis. Therefore, you shouldn't trust them. Treating so, them with
0: like with like. <laughs> yeah, well,
1: it was the it was part of it was an attempt to explain the evidence, and part of it was just an attempt to besmirch their reputation because america was a relatively puritanical society compared to europe and the like at the time so just by saying these just by being able to tar these girls with the brush of sort of like well they're sexually active it's enough to be able to say well you shouldn't pay attention to them yeah so
0: So we've reached the point in our podcast where we're going to play a little game Ooh! let's play (laughs) i feel like we should have a jingle for this (laughs) Let's play. Who in history has had syphilis? Yay! <laughs> so, okay, so you you tell me a name, and I will guess whether or not they have had syphilis. Okay,
1: like, uh, like true or false. True or false. Uh, so James Joyce.
0: James Joyce. I'd say he was riddled with a load of stuff. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go true.
1: Okay, James Joyce. Probably not.
0: Really? No.
1: James Joyce's dad had syphilis. Okay. Uh, James Joyce died of a stomach ulcer. And a lot of people think... A lot of people... Say, so half the problem is like a lot of the time you don't know whether someone had syphilis. But James Joyce didn't have a lot of the symptoms. But even nowadays you get a lot of people writing biographies who want to say, oh, syphilis is linked with genius. The idea still looks, lurks around. Yeah. So you get a lot of cases of people going like, okay, the... They must have had syphilis because they were a genius. Yeah. So you get uh, Mozart. A lot of people, even though there's no evidence, sometimes people say, well, he had syphilis because he... Because
0: he was a genius, so exactly. clearly he had it.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Uh, Vincent van Gogh.
0: He was crazy.
1: Yeah. He,
0: di- he did die in an asylum, didn't he?
1: Mm-hmm. I... He killed himself, actually. But he, he wasn't had... in an asylum for he a was while. He wasn't in an asylum yeah. for a while.
0: I'm going to say yes.
1: Uh, So Vincent van Gogh probably did have syphilis, but he probably didn't have neurosyphilis. So Mm. his insanity, his mental illness was... Based on already pre-existing mental illness. Yeah, exactly. So he was actually... I mean, it's this whole thing where, like, you try and diagnose someone based on historical things, and you might as well throw darts at the wall. So, I think he probably fits mostly being manic depressive, Mm. but uh, I mean, you can't tell. (laughs) So,
0: what makes people believe that he had syphilis if uh, it weren't for the mental illness? Well,
1: it's it, it is recorded just that he had some sort of STI. And the symptoms kind of line up with syphilis. Okay. But uh, the thing is, like, an awful lot of people had syphilis. Because another thing with syphilis is, like, sometimes people get it. They have the primary attack. They have Mm. a couple of goes of the secondary symptoms. And then it just settles into their system. And they don't show any more symptoms ever again. Yeah. You've got it. You've got it till you die. But they don't show any symptoms of it. So it's a... It makes it interesting. An awful lot of times, the only way we can tell whether someone from history actually had syphilis is exhume the body and check the ashes and see, or check the corpse and see if there's mercury in it. It's metallic, so it would stick around. Yeah. Yes. So, let's see. uh, Cesare Borgia. Hmm. Borgia. Borgia? Borgia. Cesare Borgia.
0: Was he, he was like the Pope guy?
1: He was the Pope's son.
0: Pope's son.
1: Yeah. Alexand- pope Alexander was a naughty pope. <laughs> he okay. had several children.
0: Okay. Oh, was this a case of congenital syphilis? No. Okay.
1: No. In fact, Cesare did have syphilis. Okay. Cesare is one of the first recorded celebrity syphilites. Ooh, because fancy. Because he-, he caught it. He actually was in Naples with the French army. Oh. He had been sent by the Pope to crown the French king as part of uh, Alexander. He was very much in sort of the pro-French camp in Europe at the time, mm. uh, as opposed to there was pro-French, pro-Spain, pro-German camps, and he was very much a pro-French person. And he was actually... he was Césaire was one of those guys, like, he was a very competent military leader and reportedly a very handsome and charismatic man and his father, like he had a good power base through his father he was ruthless he's reported to have murdered had his elder brother murdered so that he could get out of being a cardinal and get to be a military leader Oh it just take his father's heir out of the picture he's the heir he gets to be the military leader uh, but as soon as he gets syphilis he gets it on his face, he winds up with scarring from it and he just turns into a complete recluse Mm. and he did uh, it just completely changed the course of his life and he winds up like, has no power base when his father dies, winds up working as a mercenary general in Italy and eventually dies there and does start to show signs of neurocephalus towards the end as well, but it's uh, yeah, but at least he gets to be the first celebrity syphilite. <laughs> well, at least there's that. Mm. Yes. Uh, okay,
0: who's next?
1: Caravaggio.
0: Ooh. He was very talented. Mm. <laughs> um, I'm going to say no syphilis.
1: You're probably right.
0: <laughs> probably right, okay. Yeah,
1: now the thing with Caravaggio is we can't actually... Do the trick of dig him up and check his body because we don't know where his body is. <laughs> Caravaggio was well known as a painter, but an awful lot of his paintings are of the criminal classes because that was who he felt most comfortable with. Yeah, and that resulted in him getting in a fight and murdering someone in Rome and winding up going on the run.
0: I didn't know that.
1: Oh yeah, Caravaggio did go mad before he died, but. Most people think this was due to lead poisoning mm-hmm. from the paints he'd been using rather than from syphilis, but we don't know because we can't find him. Uh,
0: okay, so. who else has syphilis?
1: Okay, uh, Oscar Wilde.
0: Did he die relatively young? Uh,
1: yes. Maybe. 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 <laughs> Maybe. Uh, so Oscar Wilde is can we is, not
0: dig him up and find out Oh,
1: uh, f- they won't let us uh, fine uh, meet me around the corner with a couple of <laughs> mattocks and a dark lantern and we'll see actually where is Oscar Wilde buried uh, is he in Westminster Abbey no he wouldn't have been is he in Paris did, hmm.
0: he died in Paris didn't he he died
1: in Paris I yeah. think yeah so he might be in Paris yeah he died in Paris So. But.
0: but was he buried in Paris
1: Hmm, I'll tell we, you we, what. We should have Let's done our
0: research. If any if any of the listeners out there know where Oscar Wilde is buried, please contact us at sexhistory at headstuff.org and let us know where Oscar Wilde is buried so we can go dig him up and find out if he had syphilis.
1: Yes. So the rumor that Oscar Wilde had syphilis is connected to a story about his libel trial. Basically, he was having an affair with a nobleman's son yes. and the nobleman accused him of being gay and because that was a crime Oscar was trapped into having to sue the guy for libel and it, it, the libel trial itself turned into a trial of whether or not Oscar Wilde was gay mm. and then he was after he lost the trial he wound up being imprisoned for homosexuality and then going to live abroad in Paris afterwards where he died uh, but there's a story that one of the reasons why he lost the trial was when he went to give his evidence, he was covering his hand with his mouth and the judge told him to stop covering his hand because they couldn't hear him and he took it away and his teeth were all black. And people said that was because he was being treated with mercury for syphilis. Ooh, dun-dun-dun. Yeah, the only problem with that is mercury doesn't make your teeth turn black. (laughs) What
0: what would make your teeth turn black?
1: Uh, Infections, probably. Yeah. (laughs) So, but... So, I mean, he might have had syphilis, but that is sort of like the main thing people point to.
0: But it could also be just the rumor mill because Hmm. people thought like, oh, he's gay. He must have
1: syphilis. Yes, exactly. Yeah, because it is the whole thing that syphilis is still at the the mark of corruption. And so if you're corrupted, you have syphilis. Yeah. So, yeah. But, I mean, he died of uh, meningitis, which... Probably due to an ear infection, an operation for an ear infection, but uh, could have been syphilis. Don't know. <laughs> yeah, there's an awful lot of this. is very vague. Right, I'll give you a good definite one. Okay. Actually, no. I'll give you another one that's kind of vague. Okay. Uh, what the butler saw.
0: What the butler saw.
1: Did the butler see syphilis?
0: Did the butler see syphilis? Yeah. Who's butler?
1: Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so the most. One of the biggest scandals of Victorian England was the divorce trial of Colin and Gertrude Campbell. Okay. So Colin was the son of the Duke of Argyle and like his brother-in-law, his brother was married to one of Queen Victoria's daughters. Okay. Uh, his father was a good friend of Prince Albert. Um, Gertrude, not quite like Gertrude married up. Gertrude made a fortunate marriage in one sense. She was an Anglo-Irish girl from County Clare. Met uh, Colin while they were on ho- while her family were on holiday in Scotland. Whirlwind romance, and they got married. What she didn't know was that Colin had syphilis. Uh, now her dad heard rumors that Colin had uh, was so
0: was wait, wait wait was he treating her with the mercury hot chocolate <laughs>
1: <laughs> just just on just in case. I sp- I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. But her dad did hear rumors about this before they went on trial, before they got married. He approached Colin and asked him, okay, do do you have cephalus? And he said, no, I have a war injury and that's what I'm being treated for. Mm. Yes.
0: War injury. Yes. Quotey marks over the war injury.
1: Mm-hmm. So after... Uh, they got married. He infected Gertrude. Gertrude was originally treated by his doctors who just told her, oh, it's nothing, it's just this and that. It's just a and, war injury. <laughs> yes. And her, parent, her mother basically had to break her out of her family home to get her treated properly, at which point they find out that she had syphilis. Uh, so things go back and forth for a while and eventually she sues him for a divorce On the grounds of uh, grievous injury, yeah, and uh, she he countersues on the grounds of adultery. Uh, Now she probably like later events would show that he was probably right as well, but he got greedy, so and jealous, and so he basically just sued her on the grounds of adultery with literally every woman, every man that she knew, (laughs) which. uh, was kind of what undermined things for him. The other thing was, so this was a hugely shocking trial. Uh, There was, like, when they gave the evidence that she had syphilis, there's literally only one paper in England that dared to print it, and it got banned for doing so. Like, Mm. that issue got taken off the newsstands. Um, Where what the butler saw came in is that... uh, his evidence that she had committed adultery consisted of two of the family butlers who had apparently peered through a keyhole or walked into a room and caught her with one of her gentleman friends on the floor or with her arm round her. And the... Is this
0: where we get the, the yes. phrase what the butler saw? Yes, this is saw. literally
1: where what the butler... Because that was oh the God. headline was what the butler saw. And at the time was when uh, moving pictures were starting to be invented. Yeah. And you had the little machines with the flick books. Yeah. And so a popular version of them that then got installed at all the boardwalks was what the butler saw. Oh, <laughs> yeah.
0: That's so interesting. <laughs> I did not know that.
1: <laughs> so she did win the divorce trial uh, and then wound up moving in with one of the guys he'd said that she'd been committing adultery with. So, and... Uh, because he was the high society one, he basically got to stay in high society. She did get ostracized from high society, basically for having not being part of the set and having shown him up in the divorce and so on. Mm. But she then wound up getting adopted by British Bohemian Society and becoming this sort of artistic darling and uh, became a very good writer and so like very well known. Died fairly young because of the syphilis but did uh go on to have a fairly full life before that so yeah great i okay. like gertrude
0: I, th- <laughs> I think we have time for one more so what have you got
1: one more uh al capone
0: he definitely had
1: syphilis he definitely did yeah. have syphilis yeah Al was so Al was kind of interesting because Al picked up syphilis fairly young Was never treated for it. Um, I mean, he was in the last, he would have been in the last few years before penicillin was available. Okay. And there's actually, so when he was arrested in uh, 1932, he was already starting to show the mental effects of syphilis. And there's a big speculation that he had actually completely lost his grip on the Chicago underworld at that point. Yeah. But his lieutenants kept him propped up as a figurehead. Yeah. And his degeneration continued when he was in prison. There's other prisoners saying that he had, like he would talk to himself and he was a very weak character. And some of the other prisoners had to take him under their wing because they felt sorry for him. And there were people trying to victimize him. So he was let out in 1940 and a psychiatrist who examined him said he had the mentality of a 12-year-old and he just basically wound up living in seclusion being cared for. So, yeah.
0: And what did he eventually die of? Like, complications from the syphilis?
1: Yeah, basically just the fact that because this is the thing, like an awful lot of people who do it's not the syphilis that kills you, it's all the damage the syphilis does to you and your organs Mm -hmm. failing, so...
0: Okay, I think that's that's all we have time for. Kiron, thank you so much for coming in and providing us with this wealth of entertaining yet horrific knowledge uh, about um, syphilis. Um, where can people find more of your, your historically historical stuff? I do words good.
1: <laughs> uh, so I do a weekly column for Head Stuff called... Every Monday around lunchtime, called "Terrible People from History."
0: It's very good, yes. in fairness.
1: <laughs> and that is part of what led me to the syphilis, because it's just like, hmm, this person had syphilis. Oh, this person had syphilis. All these terrible had syphilis. All these
0: terrible people had syphilis.
1: <sighs> uh, but uh, yeah, and uh, that's the main place where you can find my stuff. And your your Twitter? Yes, I'm on Twitter as shiny empty head.
0: Shiny empty head. Thank you so much to Kieran for dropping by the studio to be on the show. We actually talked a lot more about syphilis, and he told us this harrowing story about its link to why we had medical ethics boards today. However, we just couldn't fit it all in one episode, so we've added it as its own separate easter egg, which we'll be releasing later in the week. Our Sexual History was produced today by Alan Bennett with music by Shane O'Sullivan and artwork by Sheena Flynn. Special thanks to our growing family of subscribers and listeners who support us on Patreon. Donations to our Patreon help us to keep the lights on, the mics running, and make sure that our writers and podcasters are paid for all of their hard work. If you would like to help Headstuff continue to produce excellent curiosity-provoking content, please visit and contribute to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash headstuff. And finally, with Bound Valentine's Day just a few short weeks away. Instead of getting the standard prescribed box of chocolates and bunch of flowers for a partner that you may or may not have, why not treat your own damn self to some romance with a brand new sex toy from SexShoppa.ie? We sell loads of exceptionally made body safe toys and accessories. That's sexhoppa.ie S-E-X S-I-O-P-A.ie. And you can really do us a solid by subscribing, rating, and commenting to Our Sexual History on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can now get us on Spotify mobile as well. And thanks for listening, guys. And we'll be back again next month with another episode of Our Sexual History.
1: This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.